And this morning, um, I just want to ask you to consider this um, simple thing, being prepared for the fight. Now, over the last several weeks, I've had multiple conversations, and I know just because of what you're telling me that I'm not the only one that's been kind of getting evaluated, beat up, and purified, stretched, um, facing myself in the mirror. The last, the last three or four weeks have been pretty, pretty intense. And so one of the things that I want to reiterate is that there is a reason that Peter is sharing the things that he's sharing and that he's taking the approach that he is. And that part of that is literally just us coming to terms with the reality of the world that we live in and us being prepared for the fight. And if you're here this morning and your background or your tradition has created a perspective to where that you feel like that everything that we teach, read, and study should be lollipop-oriented, you're going to be a little bit shell-shocked because we believe that there's some difficult truth that we have to face in order for us to be prepared for what God has called us to in the world that we live in. So let's start in 2 Peter chapter 3. All right. Um, Verse 1, I'm going to be reading from the New King James. We read verse 1 and 2 last week. We're going to read 3 through 7 this morning along with verse 1 and 2. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder, that you may be mindful of the words which are spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget, that by the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So as we read the scripture, and as we look at this, I just want to remind you that This morning, some of you are different perspectives. There are so many different things that we could pull out of this passage of Scripture. And as we've been going through 1 and 2 Peter, obviously almost every single week, you could be sitting there and you could be studying the Holy Spirit speaking to you. You're like, why didn't he say this? Why didn't he study this? Why didn't we approach it this way? Absolutely, I agree with you. But what we have to do, because the scripture is so rich and so dense and so amazing with such incredible depth that the Holy Spirit ignites in our hearts, what we're going to do is take this singular perspective this morning, even though there's so many things that we could look at in this passage. So I want to start by, did you notice he says, knowing this first? So after the things that we've already studied, from the first epistle, and then in chapter one and chapter two of the second epistle, everything that Peter has said up to this point communicates in a first things, first approach manner. So now all of a sudden he says this, and the way I take this, and this is, this is just Tim Duggan's verbiage, 
is he's like, Peter's saying, let me be straight up with you and no sugarcoating. And that's kind of the approach that Peter's been taking. He's just saying, hey, let me be straight up. And he says, the people of this world, the people of this world will be walking through life based on their own lusts. And really, nothing's changed. The majority of people are walking through this life and walking in this world based on their own desires and their own lusts, which creates an immediate consideration for us this morning. If we have been born of the Spirit, what I mean by that, if you have believed in Jesus as the Son of God to cover your sin and forgive you, the Spirit lives inside of us, then we're very aware of this battle line or this fight because the fight is not just on the outside. The fight is genuinely interior. It's inside. It's within each one of us. So what does it say? We should live differently. Galatians 5, 16 through 18 in the New King James, it says this. This is what Paul said to the, the church at Galatia. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh, the desires of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and they're contrary to one another. Most every single one of us that came in here or listening this morning can admit you know the battle. You've got this going on inside yourself. There's this, there's this fight, there's this battle, not just on the outside with other people, but we've got this battle inside with our own cravings, our own desires, our own lust versus what the Spirit is trying to accomplish. And then what it says, so that you do not do the things that you wish. Anybody in here this morning? You're looking back at the week and you're thinking, man, should I wish I want to These are the things I want. Why didn't I do any of those? Guess what? You're surrounded by people that understand. That's why we're not supposed to be stone throwers. We're not, you know, we're not supposed to be picking up the stones and th- help throwing. We're supposed to be using those stones to build bridges of understanding each other. So we can stand alongside each other and we can help each other. What does it say? But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Um, what I want to do is I really want to focus on this word scoffers. In the Greek, the original word, um, in pictes, in the, in the Greek, um, the general meaning is a mocker or a scoffer, but in this verse, it's expanded to mean derision or mockery. Deriding someone or mocking someone. Now, I don't know about you, I'm, I'm doing a lot better in my older maturing years I did not do really well in my younger years. I had some things that were flashpoints for me. And if you wanted me to go, bing, he just went nuts. It's this area of my life. Like I can handle a lot of things, but the whole mocking, running your mouth, trying to just, you know, whoo, it's a flashpoint. Some of you, everybody's sitting there looking. Some of you are going like, thank you, Pastor Tim. I take solace in that. That's cool. I know that I'm not the only flashpoint person in here when it comes to somebody running their mouth at you, okay? Hey, man, Missy, thank you for that encouragement over there, all right? Yes, hey, Missy, most everybody's like this looking at me. Yeah, no, no, I know, that's what, we brother and sister, we good. So what I wanna do is I wanna give you a couple English words to just help us get our hands around the, 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 the enormousness of what he's talking about here. Derision, in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, is used as a noun. It means to use the use of ridicule or scorn to show contempt. A state of being laughed at or ridiculed, a state of being derided. 
an object of ridicule or scorn. Now, deride uses a verb, means to laugh at or insult contemptuously. To subject to usually bitter or contemptuous ridicule or criticism. To express a lack of respect or approval of. Are you, are you feeling the weightiness of what Peter's saying here? To be around these type of people is super uncomfortable. It's not easy. It's difficult. And I don't know about you, but God is changing me. But this is a past flashpoint situation for me. And so Peter's just saying, this is the reality And he's saying it back then before all the technology and social media slandering and mockering and deriding. And I will will say this, it it, it amazes me a lot. Well, people will post on the internet and they don't have the backbone to normally say it to your face. Anybody listening and you do that, stop. Be a man or a woman. I mean, a real man or a woman. Anyway, I got to get back on track. I squirreled. I can feel my blood pressure rising right then. Woo, okay. I got to get some freedom back. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I just jumped out. That wasn't in the first service either. I got a little nervous. Yeah, I know. Chris is over here like, calm down. Uh, no. There's some fire retardant on those jets. All right, let me just say this. If you are believing in, following, and standing up for Jesus... I know we got people at all different points in their life, but if you're one of those that you believe in Jesus and you're learning to follow him and you're actually standing up for him, some of you, I'm just going to say this, just stand up. Just stand up. You are created to handle it. You're selling yourself short, so just stand up. But if you are doing these things, believing, following, and standing up, Please hear me when I say this. Then you will experience, I can promise you, you're going to experience some pushback from the people around you. If you just think because you believe in Jesus, you're going to be like, I believe in Jesus, and everybody around you is going, ah, that's the best thing ever. I mean, seriously, some people, like in certain churches, make you think that. Like, I made a decision to trust Jesus. And everybody around you, all the bars are going to empty and all the parties are going to stop because you just believed in Jesus. No, you're going to get pushback. You're going to get some things that, why? First John chapter 2, verse 15 through 17 in the New, New International Version says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for fathers or the father's love is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the desire of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires, they're going to pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. Just let those verses sink in. Now, I, I mentioned earlier, I've had so many conversations the past three weeks regarding the difficulty of the teaching on Sunday morning. Hopefully, If you're a guest with us or you're just kind of getting to know us, hopefully you understand that I'm not up here trying to just give some theological message. 
the way that we approach ministry here is the truth of the word of God has to flow through us and it has to be personal and real. I'm not that I have to understand it, but I have to embrace it. So what I stand up here and share on a Sunday morning, understand that this brother gets hurt before, during, and after. You get what I'm saying? Because I'm forced to look at things about my own life and stand up here and proclaim the truth of the word of God and just face it and deal with it. Peter is not, and I am not, trying to be hard for the sake of being mean. Now, most of you know that, but I'm going to say it again for some of you that are on the edge going, yeah, I'm not sure I believe that. You seem to take joy in that. No, I'm just goofy. Goofy's different than taking joy. (laughs) See, somebody understands. Peter is not, and I am not trying to be hard for the sake of being mean. Peter is trying to help prepare and strengthen brothers and sisters in Christ for the reality of the battle of faith and fellowship. To truly be committed to the transforming image of Jesus, it creates a battle line in our lives. It puts a line in the sand. We already have this internal fight, this internal battle. That's just a squirrel. I can't help it. <laughs> so cute. There's a baby over there. Okay? I'm looking at the baby. <laughs> okay? Love you too, but you know. Think about this. It creates a battle line. We must be willing to honestly evaluate ourselves. That's what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. We must understand the world well where we reside. Madison County, this world where we reside. When we make a decision to believe in Jesus and we begin to press in and learn to follow him, and we, what happens is we've been talking about this through the Sermon on the Mount. Our citizenship changes. Our kingdom focus changes. We're not of this world. When we make these decisions, all of a sudden, we begin to realize that we live in hostile territory. I know that some of you, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to believe that. It's difficult or it's sobering, but I am here to remind you in love because I'm trying to help prepare us for the fight that we live in hostile territory. But Pastor Tim, beautiful Madison County, all the rolling, the Blue Ridge and the Mount. Absolutely. And it proclaims the glory of God, but we live in hostile territory. And for some of you, As much as it pains you, it's going to help you to embrace the reality of that. We must not be naive about the fight, but rather prepared for the fight of faith. We must be internally strong. And I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm just going to be raw with you. All the years that Lori and I have spent in youth ministry and children's ministry, What I believe that the church of Jesus Christ has done by and large across America for the last 25 years is create weak, pansified, non-battle-ready boys and girls, young adults, young men, young women, college students, 
Because we've tried to make everything lollipop and beautiful and fun all the time. And this is how the church responds. Because our goal is to keep everybody. So what are we doing running around? It's like, oh my goodness, oh, I don't want you to leave. Let's start this program. We don't have staff for it. And God hasn't said, start it. But we're trying to start the program because somebody said well, that we want this program. So we start the program because we want to keep them. And then we got to staff the program. And then we create more things. Because we're trying to pacify people instead of prepare them for the fight. So just a simple, ordinary guy like me is just trying to say, there's a fight. Pastor Timmy, being a little bit passionate, a little bit right. No, no, stinking fight. And we need to be prepared for it. What breaks my heart is when our kids that we love that have been grown up with us, when they go off and then they're bombarded and they're pummeled with things in their mind and they're not prepared to stand up and fight. Number one, because they haven't been prepared that there's actually a battle. I don't want us as a church family to be like that. There's a fight. It takes incredible strength. Yes, this is what Jesus said. It takes incredible strength to love in the face of ridicule. To love in the face of scorn, contempt, bitter criticism. I just got an image. Disrespectful sarcasm. It takes strength to love in the middle of personal derision or just downright nasty, vulgar harassment. But we look at our Savior, and He showed us that that's possible. And we as human beings, we set the tone. His apostles, when all that went down, who stood with Him? No one. These are real things. But what he's asked us to do, we have a supernatural power through the spirit because of the blood of Jesus that we can have incredible strength to love. These scoffing people, and I I need for some of you this morning, this component of the lesson, I need for you to really step back and think about this because some of you, I'm going to ask you before I go into this, I'm going to ask you, please stop making excuses. Stop trying to project into other people what you want them to be like or how you want them to respond. Stop trying to, you know, pacify and make excuses. You're just like, oh, well, they didn't really mean that. Well, they've said the same thing to you eight times. I think they mean it. Well, it's the way, no, no, just let things be what they are. And I'm saying that because you need to hear what I'm about to say. These scoffing people make a willful conscious choice to push things out of their minds. Some of you have family members, you have friends, you have neighbors that you've been rationalizing and justifying how they are when we have people around us in our community that just like these people make a willful choice that they're going to push certain things out of their thinking. They make a decision to forget or choose not to look at the reality of facts that are right in front of them. That's what the scripture is talking about this morning, and we'll break it down. They know enough to ridicule and criticize. Do you ever think about that? Some of the people in our lives, they know enough about the truth to ridicule and criticize, but they purposefully will not take time to consider the depth of actually what is right in front of them that they're using to criticize 
and be disrespectful about. You get what I'm saying? So look at, look at the passage where it says, oh, imagine so you're talking to somebody. Oh, Jesus' return, the Lord's return. So they know enough to understand the teaching about the Lord's return or the second coming, but they haven't really looked at it and the depth of it to embrace it, so they use it as a mocking point. Oh, yeah, you're going to talk about Jesus' return and Jesus is coming back. What does that matter? Has it made a difference in anything? Everything's been going on as it was for a couple thousand years. What matter? What does it matter? And then what's the next thing that they use? Talk about uh, the flood. So, and we're going to talk more about some scientific stuff, but there's so much stuff, but they know enough about the flood, but they forget or they push away the depth or the reality of what is really there. And right, like right now, if you, t- if you take the great deluge as an example, you can look all around the globe. There's some kind of tribal or cultural relation or record or understanding of this great flood all over the globe. Doesn't matter what their religious background is. Doesn't matter what their religious belief is. I'm, I'm not saying that they believe in Yahweh, but I'm just saying that it's there. So that would make someone typically who says that they're scientifically oriented to back up and say, how is this so? But then no, because that means that I can't forcefully push these things out of my mind. So I'm going to take just enough of what I understand or what I've studied just to be able to mock and scorn and ridicule the belief system. I hope that makes sense. Romans chapter 1, 18 through 25. I want you to hear this. It's in the NLT, the New Living Translation. Verse 18, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful and wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness or by their wickedness, they present the truth from being known. They know the truth about God. They know the truth about God. Some of you are sitting there like, okay, what about the whole world? Because yes, I believe that we need to send missionaries, but you need to look at the power of this verse as far as accountability. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. How can you look at the Blue Ridge and look all around us and some things not be made very obvious? For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. Look at the depths of what I just read. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused, claiming to be wise. They instead became utter fools. Instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. There comes a point where God says, that's how you want to think, that's how you want to be. Go do it. See how that works out for you. As a result, they did vile and degrading things to each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. A society, 
that rejects the concept of God, creator, ultimate accountability. Just pan back and look. There's more human body worship today than ever in my lifetime. Worship of the human body is at an all-time high. People that say, I'm not going to worship God. All these people, you're just weak. You pan back and look at all the worship that takes place. There's more animal worship. So many people, their animals are idols. We just, we just wrap it differently. And I'm saying that there is a willful choice that I'm going to reject this. I don't want to think about this because ultimately you, it's important to reject this because there's some innate accountability with this God belief. So if I'm worshiping a human body, if I'm worshiping human beings, if I'm worshiping animals, I'm making, all, I'm making up these other things to worship, who am I going to be held accountable to? Fido? Fido's cute and sweet. I'm not going to stand in judgment before him. Okay, I am going to move on. It is a reality that people make a willful decision to push God out of their thinking and they make a choice to worship other things. There's somebody here this morning, you need to just embrace that simple reality and you will have freedom and clarity moving forward. And you won't get blindsided as often. Now, I want to tell you, I had a revelation this, this week. Um, I'll pick on Logan. He's here. Thank you for sharing that. Logan, we were talking and gave me this book. Um, and it, it really, I, honestly, I'm just telling you, some lights went on this week. I was like, oh, my word. Because my age, the way I grew up, there's just certain things about even some of my relationships. It, it just befuddles me the way that people interact with each other today, because I still have friends right now that we can disagree on certain hot topics and we can like, we can argue and we can present each other and we can call each other, you know, silly. Thank you. We can, we can call each other silly. And that was a good save. Um, and yet we can still be friends and we can dialogue, and we can be cool. So a lot of what I've been seeing the last three or four years just dumbfounds me. And then I began to read this, and I began to understand, like, oh, my word, there has been a definite shift in the way people think, and I didn't understand it. So what I'm about to share with you, I hope for somebody here today that will give you a level of clarity. The Coddling of the American Mind by Jonathan Haidt and Greg um, Lukanoff, I think. And the summary and takeaways, these are, these are, I'm giving you information from the book by Calvin Rosser. And we've got a, a website address where you can go look at the same thing. But it says that this book explores the spread of a potentially dangerous set of ideas adopted, being adopted on college campuses and beyond. And I'll be honest with you, I think that it's moved past college campuses and it's actually moving down to lower levels now. The ideas are making people more fragile, subject to emotional reasoning, and comfortable using an us versus them lens to view the world. The authors discuss how and why these ideas have developed a stronghold, the ways in which they're manifesting and the potential harm to human progress and happiness. He lists here three great untruths, and I want you to hear them because I think that for some of you, you might be set free with a level of understanding like I was this week. The book defines 
contextualizes and problem solves three bad ideas gaining traction today. Number one, the untruth of fragility. What doesn't kill you makes you weaker. Where a lot of us grew up with the opposite of that. Number two, the untruth of emotional reasoning. Always trust your feelings. Untruth number three, the untruth of us versus them. It says life is a battle between good people and evil people. We now live in a culture where people see other people as evil simply because there is an opposing belief or an opposing position. See, for me as a person, some of you that are younger, some of you that have been inundated with this kind of thinking, it makes more sense to you. This makes no sense to me. I don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me that I can have a conversation with Chris and we can have opposing views or we can have different positions. And simply because there is a difference of position, different belief, that I can now be moved into the category of being evil because I don't abide by your exact idealisms. So now, where's the middle ground? We've been asking this question for years. It seems like the middle ground is being removed. Moderation, conversation, dialogue. The reason there's very little middle ground anymore is because now it's been twisted into good and evil. So if you don't agree with me, and if you don't fit in my cylinder with me, then now I simply qualify you as evil. You think about all the atrocities, the things that have been done, the things that have taken place, and you wonder, how can they do that? Because this belief that it's it's literally, if you don't think about cancel culture, think about all the things that have been going on, it actually begins to fit in place and fall in line because it's literally, it's like, I am a good person and everybody that believes exactly what I believe is a good person. And if you don't fit in my cylinder, you're not whatever, you're now evil. So then the way the disrespect, the the lack of, I hear people say all the time, whatever happened to just human kindness? Because it's an us versus them thing. Let me read 2 Timothy chapter 3. First, several verses in the New Living Translation. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there are going to be some very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. Is anybody like me reading this going, man, man, welcome to our world. This is our culture. Nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up and with pride and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. As I mentioned earlier, there's so many scientific details that I want to mention, but I just want to highlight when you're looking at this and what the scripture says, and if you look at the wording here leading up to verse 7, makes me think of Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 20. I'm reading the um, English and the ESV. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. 
and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I present to you again that Jesus Christ is the architect of what we experience of creation. And I want to throw this for some of you to consider that he is the very adhesive that holds things together. Some of you, you love science. Just want to remind you, the axis, the rotation, the temperatures, one degree, one percentage out of whack, and all this falls apart. Accident? Boo-boo? Cosmic explosion? Seriously. Some of you, you're hoarders. You got nuts and bolts and bumpers and fenders and axles laying in your yard. Do you think in a thousand years you're going to come back and there's a Model T sitting there for you? (laughs) Some of your wives are being like, I wish. (laughs) Sorry, man. I'm just saying. But yet all the definitive detail and supernatural interaction just boo-boo bound together Jesus Jesus not only was the architect involved in all this he's the very reason it's still not going like meh 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 you know some of us that's how we rotate now we used to walk a straight line now we're like meh 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 if our If our planet does that, last Sunday together, see you. You know what I'm saying? Peter's not trying to be harsh and mean, just as I'm not trying to be harsh and mean. It's out of a heart of love that Peter's pouring his heart out because he has been living the fight. Peter's, we talked about how many years into the ministry since Jesus left. He knows, he's learned, he's grown, he's experienced these incredible things. And I am, we are trying to prepare us for the reality of the spiritual battle. We're in a fight, whether we want to acknowledge it or not. Some of you, you don't want to realize that there's a fight. You don't want to look at a fight. I'm just telling you right now, the fight is real and it's here. And we've got to be aware of it. And we've got to press in and be prepared and help one another be strong. We got to stop getting our tails kicked all the time. And we got to stop looking for places to hide. And if I'm making you so super uncomfortable and we're making you uncomfortable, good, because it's going to keep going. Because we're trying to train and prepare and strengthen people for the battle. And can I tell you why we are so committed? Because we've got more and more men that are stepping up to the battle line because we're making it real. And some of you men that you're taking steps of faith and you're scared to death and you're coming to prayer meeting and you haven't opened your mouth yet, praise God you're there because you're fighting. Yes, this is a passionate issue for me. In the same way I'm teaching verse by verse through Peter's epistle, 
to help us be prepared for the reality that we live in. I'm trying to prepare us for the reality of the spiritual battle. Seeing the greatness and the glory of God displayed through the glory of his son helps us face the harshness of the fight. The sadness of what we talked about and prayed about earlier, coupled along with all the exciting things about Bible studies and life groups and all the different things that are going on, you can't, you can't say, well, I'm just going to look at this. I'm going to choose the happy pill, and I'm not going to take the bitter pill. No, they all go together. It's called life. And we have to be strengthened in our inner being to face the fight. I want to ask you this. Have you ever allowed yourself to truly see Jesus for who he wants to be in your life? If so, are you able to keep Jesus in the forefront of your thoughts? For me, I have to come back to Jesus and I have to revel in his glory. I have to revel in his presence. I'm just going to be straight up with you. Multiple months now. My heart is excited. My heart is encouraged. There's so many supernatural things going on in our church family. And at the very same time, my heart is crushed. And my heart is broken. And my heart is burdened for the sadness and the reality of where we live. And the heartbreak of people that we're trying to stand next to and help be a physical way to give them strength and not quit. And so John chapter 14 and verse 6 is not only a verse that leads us into relationship with Jesus. John chapter 14 and verse 6 is a sustaining relationship focus. And what does it say? Jesus himself said, he said, I'm the way, the truth. But for me, I have to say, Jesus, you are my way. You are my source of truth. And I am trying to learn to let you be my life. Because I can't come to the Father on my own. I have to come through Jesus Christ. And I have to keep going back to that. And I have to keep going back to that. Tim Douglas is a naturally fearful person. I'm naturally critical. So there's somebody in here that you're probably like me, that I take the naturally cynical, critical person, and I can look at everybody else's stuff and make excuses so that I can cover my own fear and not step out. I'm being transparent with you this morning. So for years I have been confessing my fear and my anxiousness to God and ask him to fortify me and strengthen me. I've been honest and told you that maybe 10 years ago, I don't know, I maybe have hop, skipped and jumped over these verses because they're not easy. And so then in the process of this, I'm like, God, take what was placed in me for bad and turn it into discernment so that I can help my brothers and sisters. So when I see certain things, it's not from the standpoint of putting anybody down or using it to rationalize or justify anything within me, but I can see and I can feel and I can relate to somebody else and I can come alongside and say, can I help you? Will you let me help you? 
What do you mean, let me help you? Dude, I, I see things you got going on. What do you mean? Because I get it. See what I'm saying? Jesus. What does Jesus mean to us this morning? Because I'm telling you right now, the fight that we're in, what's been happening, what you've been watching over the last five years, is there's a purification and a separation. People have walked away from Jesus. And other people have come to Jesus. Yeah, man, I'm looking straight at you. <laughs> I, can look at, I can look around this room right now and just see people that made decisions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to believe in Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Because things are being separated. And I'm asking you this morning, stand up, press in. The fact that we're in, we need each other. We need to be there to strengthen and encourage one another because sometimes you just get sinking tired. And when you get tired, you know what helps? Somebody just, they don't even have to touch you sometimes. You ever had somebody just stand next to you and grin? You might start grinning just because they're grinning. That's what I'm talking about. Some of you need to get the ministry of grin when you go in places. There's enough of this like, <laughs> just grinning people and make them uncomfortable. Man, why are you grinning at me like that? <laughs> We're really, our world is that crazy. <laughs> just grinning people. You want to take it one step further? This is what I like. Open the door for somebody and grin. I've had them open their own door on the other side. <laughs> it's our world. Let's prepare for the reality of the fight that we're in. Please hear my heart. Whatever good, stirring, crazy, convicting, scary, Please just press in and don't leave today without making the decision to do something. Make a decision to either embrace Jesus and believe in him or renew your decision to keep him at the forefront of your thinking. And that means you're going to have to fight. You are have to fight yourself to stay in the fight for faith. Let's think about these things as we stay in the worship together.